Uh, hey listeners, uh, you might hear some light snoring in the background through this entire episode. Uh, that is my dog. Uh, my dog had a very long day. He was an extremely good boy at the dog park, and he was too deep asleep before we started recording for me to kick him out of my office. So that is <laughs> my puppy snoring. Happy ASMR. Oh, Christ. Here we go. Welcome to Mortified, the Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bounce media recommendations all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Aaron. And I have a nuclear core. And this week, we're canceling the apocalypse as we watch the 2013 kaiju fight in action film, Pacific Rim. Before we plug our brains into an alien hive mind, remember you can help us unmortify the legitimacy quest by subscribing to us on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, signing up for our monthly newsletter through the link in our show notes, or following us on Twitter and Tumblr at MortifiedPod, or just, you know, telling folks about us. Word of mouth, baby. Just let folks know, honestly. We're great. Yeah, I haven't said this on air, I don't think, um, but I did tweet about it on our Mortified Pod account, but I did run into a listener at a wedding, which was very funny, and I we did interrogate and make sure that this wasn't some sort of, like, acquaintance thing. Like, no, somebody told their friend they might like our podcast, and we happened to be talking about fun podcasts that no one listens to and i jokingly alluded to this one and a person standing next to me goes i think i'm subscribed to that and they (laughs) showed me the preview image and is it is in fact this podcast so specifically if you live in the like indiana area or have friends that are in the indiana area that could surprise aaron with the same like feeling of just not knowing how to respond to a situation please do tell them about this wonderful podcast yeah if you come up to me and say hey i listened to your podcast you will get a survey uh i will be interrogating every aspect of how you found my program but uh thank you so much for those of you who listen uh we do very much appreciate our extremely small listener base uh so thank you thank you all and we hope to reward you with a very good episode um layla have you ever seen Pacific Rim before? Yes, but I completely forgot every single <laughs> thing about it. Have you? Uh, I saw it once, like, in late 2013, 2014. I remember just watching it uh, on the floor of my parents' you know, house and just being like, I don't get this movie. Um, but in the fucking eight years prior, I was like, oh, I get this movie now. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh, much like any Guillermo del Toro vehicle. It is an acquired taste, but baby, I've acquired it. Yeah, no, maybe it's just a thing where you know, you know, it ages very well. And actually, I don't know that this film ages great, but there are enough parts of it that do work really, really well that I had a great time. And um, we'll talk about the good, the bad, and the kaiju. So, uh, Layla, do you want to try to run down the plot <laughs> of this film? Yeah, sure. So we open up on a, uh, a, a pair of brothers who are uh, pilots of these uh, giant robots called Jaegers, which is German for hunter, as the intro tells you. And the whole thing is that uh, Earth has been invaded uh, by an alien life that is coming out of a dimensional rift under the ocean. And they're big Godzilla-like creatures called Kaiju. Uh, so in the Kaiju War, these two brothers... A pilot, a robot, uh, whose name in the film is a slur. So we're going to be calling it uh, Lady Danger. Uh, Yes, shout out to uh, YouTuber Lady Knight the Brave, who made a great video essay about this movie, which prompted this episode, which I will link in the show notes. But yeah, we're taking her name uh, and calling calling their robot Lady Danger. So uh, just heads up. Uh, Within this battle uh, with Lady Danger... Uh, one of the brothers, while they are uh, in something called the Drift, which is uh, uh, when the two co-pilots of the giant robot, they like sync up their brains and they're inside each other's heads. Uh, one of the brothers dies. So while they are connected, the brother that stayed alive got to like feel and see everything his brother was seeing as he died. So um, 
Five years later, uh, he is working on the Coastal Wall, which is like the other solution as the Jaeger program has been decommissioned. And as uh, everyone who's working on the wall watches one of these kaiju bust through another wall in another area in less than an hour, uh, uh, Raleigh, who is the main character, the survived brother, gets... um, Contacted by uh, Idris Elba, uh, who I did not recognize because he was wearing a mustache, um, to come back and be another uh, uh, kaiju pilot again. Uh, as he's coming back, he needs to, another co-pilot, and he meets Mako Mori, who is uh, the person in charge of the woman in charge of finding him a new co-pilot. Uh, through a very fun training montage, it turns out they should be co-pilots they are drift compatible because as aaron writes in our outline she is the only other person with enough trauma to be drift compatible with him um they do have some struggles uh they figure it out eventually uh meanwhile there's a side plot where uh charlie day as a dumbass gay scientist drifts with one of these godzilla creatures um and basically they they find out that their uh plot to like go and sink a giant nuke into the what is referred to as the throat which is like the dimensional opening it's is a not doggy gonna work. door it's a doggy door it's not gonna work because it's as aaron says a doggy door like it only lets a kaiju in a person will fit through it um so uh yeah there's a big battle eat your cell bone rude australian sacrifice themselves uh to give rayleigh and mako enough time to destroy the rift uh and there's like a lot of really great big robot battles the scientists are very gay and it's a fantastic little time did i get it yes absolutely perfect crushed it no notes um (laughs) yeah i mean this is a very fun movie and we'll talk about the ways in which it's fun and you know the ways in which it works for us uh but i think the the strength of this movie actually besides the cool monster fights um is its characters and its very effective characterization and the use of its plot devices to help enhance characterization Mm -hmm. um so let's start with our protagonist raleigh um do you have any you know off the cuff thoughts about him um so okay i'm as i just pointed out with the idris elba thing really bad at faces can you confirm for me that in the brother intro he's the fun brother Yes, that was my understanding. He is like the cool younger brother who's very excited to go kill Kaiju. Yeah, okay. So this is when you have these openings where it's like a pair of people and one of them dies to like establish a little bit of trauma for the main character, it's very rare that the fun one survives. Like it's usually the grouchy one that lives and then they get more reason to be more grouchy. But I really like that it is the fun one that survives. And like, yeah, he's traumatized and like, yeah, he's upset about his brother dying and, and like he has a lot of reservations about um, going back to be a, a Jaeger pilot again. But uh, he does still retain like a pretty pretty durable sense of humor and he's he's you know just generally like a nice guy. Like there's none of this um, asshole genius vibe about him at all, you know. I really like him. I thought he was like a fun he's he had a lot of characteristics of like a like a shonen protagonist and you know how much i love that he was just like a fun positive force in the in the film yeah absolutely and i think it works in his favor right he there's not a lot of very dour dudes despite the fact that this is kind of a sad scary premise like everybody is kind of upbeat even though maybe they're melodramatic they they are all very optimistic which i think is very useful um you know they they are facing these uh, relentless odds and um raleigh you know literally felt his brother die um and and, you know piloted the jaeger back and and, you know has all this extreme emotional weight on his shoulders but he's still a very interesting protagonist he's very uh upbeat and, and ready to you know fight despite all the the odds are being stacked against them uh and it really comes through with his relationship with mako and how he's willing to like help her and guide her and also like be friends with her um, so I, I really liked uh, Raleigh. Um, Mako, I feel like, so let's start with, you know, the second thing that did not age well about this movie, which is that Mako is very much um, an Asian woman with streaks in her hair. She's got two blonde streaks. And like, uh, you know, frankly, I don't even know that much about this trope, except that it is a trope for some reason in Western media to, to put an Asian woman with streaks in their hair. Do you know much about that, Layla? I, yeah, I don't really get what that's about. I I never, like, did any research into the trope aside from, like, knowing that it's a trope. And to me, it does 
feel like it's one of those things it's like trying to combat the fact that asian people have always been depicted as like studious so this is like a rebellious agent asian person mm-hmm. you know this is like a fun asian person which is you know i like the blue streaks i just don't like them as a pattern yeah yeah i i think it does very much fall into the you know trying to distinguish uh, an asian person who you know and i mean it was probably and still is very common to depict asian people as not very fun you know serious academically minded um and and not humorous so to show somebody you know with a with a streak of quote-unquote individuality um is a way to characterize them and make them more palatable to western audiences which is of course kind of you know boring asian people are like all other people diverse and have different opinions and different personalities so we don't really need to color our hair to do that but sure whatever um you know i don't think it's just it is a relic of its time unfortunately um but i don't you know despite that i think that is probably the the you know most uh iffy part of mako's characterization besides that i think you know i think she's pretty cool um you you know she she is introduced as you know speaking with with stacker pentecost who is of course Idris elba by the way his name's stacker pentecost which owns bones uh but but mako you know is, is speaking to him in, in japanese and she's like oh i thought this this guy who who pilots lady danger would be you know better would be different and he responds also in japanese um raleigh does like different in a good or a bad way um and you know it's kind of like a funny joke like oh he knows japanese um and like that's you know it could be could be looked at as like oh it's a joke that like yeah the white guy knows you know knows this asian language and you know he he's not your average white guy but i do think that the way that the movie portrays the relationship of this character of these two characters it's very much not adversarial and more like building trust um and, and you know having common things in common w- with each other so i i liked mako i think that the the sequence where she fights um raleigh and they they learn that they're drift compatible is very good right they're doing this like stick combat thing where you know the the person who quote unquote like hits the other person four times uh, you know is the winner and they have this very close match where they're you know both like doing these cool um stick fights basically and they're they're neck and neck and and at the end you know it it's very clear that they're they're extremely compatible and they have this like fun counting game where it's like oh one to nothing uh you know one to one two to nothing you know you know and like like they go back and forth and it's really cool and it does give her a lot of characterization like you know she's tough and 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 smart and she she even says like when she's training all the other people that just aren't the same she's like oh you should have she's like yeah no you're actually holding back you could have taken them a couple moves earlier uh and and she's like oh you can do better and they they have this cool fight and i really liked that um you know i think that unfortunately she doesn't get as much characterization as i would liked i would have liked a lot more of her interiority uh but on the whole i'm really happy with with mako mori as a character yeah for 2013 they did a pretty fucking good job you know uh the the whole Raleigh speaking Japanese thing bothered me on first look, but then once Pentecost also did it, I'm like, okay, it's an international program. Like, it kind of makes sense that the candidates have, like, international cooperation. They're, like, multilingual, you know, whatever. Sure. There was enough world building there for me to be, like, fine, you know? Um, I do wish she got more to do in the end. Like Mm -hmm, you said, I wish there was more about her, like, interiority um, so I definitely agree agree with all of that. Um, listen, um, that little that little training sequence they have with the sticks that you were talking about um, that was very sexy. I don't know about <laughs> anybody else, um, but there was a I was watching that with bated breath. Uh, it was great because uh, first of all. He invited her to get her ass kicked, which was great. And there was none of this, like, you're a girl, you think you could do better? Oh, yeah. No, it, was, it was just this equals baby. He was like, oh, you think you could do better? Come fucking fight me. Pick up a stick. Take off your shoes. Let's fucking go. <laughs> and uh, they put her in this delightful tank top, which was great. And then uh, they were, like, counting blows, you know, like, keeping score between each other. And there was a point at which they stopped counting and, like, my body seized. I was like, <laughs> this is, like peak battle couple 
this is the apex of sexiness to me. Like, it was fantastic. It was one of my favorite scenes in all of cinema, I think. And it was one of those movie points in the film where I was watching it. And I, you mean, you read my notes. There were like four times I was like, do I like this movie? Do I love this movie? Because it just, I don't know. I, I It was so not memorable to me when I first watched it. Now I'm like, this is one of my favorite things in the world. <laughs> <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Um we should also note that, you know, Raleigh has this big traumatic backstory with his brother being eaten. Uh, Mako's big traumatic backstory is that her parents were killed by a kaiju. Um, and, you know, her whole thing is trying to get revenge on on the kaijus for, for killing her family. Uh, and it's later revealed that um, she is technically, or no, she's not technically, she is the adopted daughter of Stacker Pentecost, Marshall Stacker Pentecost, the uh, Idris Elba, the guy who is leading the uh, Jaeger program. And, um, and they have a very interesting relationship as well. Um, you know, it is very much falling into father daughter tropes, but I think it still works. And, you know, there's a lot of respect between the two of them. Like there is even a point where, you know, Raleigh's like, why don't you stand up to Stacker Pentecost? Like, basically, she's just like, I don't want to stand up. I I don't want to like argue with Stacker Pentecost because I respect him, um, not because I'm afraid of him. Uh, and I think that was really, really key and nice. Um, and, and, you know, eventually they do get to a point where he, he, feels comfortable letting her get in lady danger and and fight fight um kaiju but i i just you know idris elba does such a good job in this role he's very much like a strict you know military dad guy but also like very eager and and you know knows that knows the value of what he's fighting for and, and and in believing in his his troops even though nobody ever listens to his orders they're always he's always like just stick with the coast and protect people and everyone's like no we're gonna go save individual people because that's what we do because we're the heroes and he's like god damn it (laughs) um but like uh i just i think he does a great job i think he is uh, dramatic in the way that this movie needs somebody to be melodramatic and over the top and just like it was recently announced that Idris Elba's going to be playing Knuckles in the Sonic uh, movie sequel. Like, I love this fucking dude. Like, he's been everything from Cats to Stacker Pentecost, which uh, is so cool. I love Idris Elba. He kicks ass. Yeah. Uh, I mean, listen, we, you and I have both seen uh, Cats 2019, and it is an experience. And uh, I, Idris Elba is a highlight. Idris Elba and uh, uh, Jennifer Hudson are just lights in the darkness of cats. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it, it, I agree. I think he did a fantastic job in this role once I fucking recognized him after the movie ended and I was looking at IMDb and I was like, that's Idris Elba. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just terrible Listen, at the faces. fake mustache disguise works. <laughs> I, I just have, like, selective face blindness or something, because guess who I also didn't recognize for an hour and a half? Charlie, Charlie Day. Charlie Day. <laughs> um, yeah, how did you feel about uh, Newt and Herman, the oh scientists? God, I love them so fucking much. I just, I think Charlie Day should be more unhinged scientists and fun sci-fi flicks. I think he does a great job. I think he's a fantastic little kaiju fanboy. And uh, that's or kaiju groupie is was how they refer yes. to him in Same the in the movie. Uh, he's great. He's like a little unhinged and desperate to be right, and I love that shit. And then uh, you have Herman, who uh, is just what does he say? He says that numbers are as close as we get to the handwriting of God, which is just so fucking good. It's <laughs> like, incredible. It's an incredible line. So you have this like dorky mathematician and this like unhinged kind of like a rock and roll will do anything scientist and they're a great little pair of side characters. Um, and uh, Buddy, <sighs> Buddy, is it gay to share the neural load uh, with a scientist you uh, proclaim to hate just to kind of both be right and to also maybe save his life? Yeah, no, it's not. It's not gay at all. Wanting to be both physically and psychically connected to a man that you have very strong emotional um, feelings towards in order to achieve uh, a shared goal of saving the world in a moment of passion. That is the most platonic uh, heterosexual thing I could ever conceive of. Mm-hmm. And then is it also gay to uh, run into the control room of the mission that you guys are running and both grip the microphone together <laughs> and like talk 
in synchronicity to these pilots that are underwater. I just really love their relationship. I think it's excellent. It's really good. It's really fun. They, they do a great job. You know, uh, it, Char- Charlie Day is a little bit hit and miss um, for me, but I, I really like his, his unhinged scientist in, in this one. And I, I think it's fun. Like there's a very good bit where, um, you know, he's first introduced to Raleigh uh, and Raleigh looks down at his tattoos and he's like, oh, you... You have this ta- this kaiju tattooed on your arm. Uh, me and my brother killed that in 2017. And he's like, yeah, no, it was so cool. I love that. That kaiju was so great and, and fun and terrible. Uh, and then he, like, takes a beat. And he's like, or, you know, scary and, and awful and the worst thing ever, definitely. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, Herman's just like, shut the fuck up, <laughs> idiot. Yeah, he's, uh, I mean, like, I really... I've tried watching It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It's just, like, not my thing at all. Like, I just, it, I don't know. It just, like, makes me uncomfortable, honestly. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I don't find it very funny. Um, but, like, I, I don't know. I thought I thought he was very fun in this movie because he's just, like, lightly unhinged. Uh, my favorite part with him was when he marched back into um, Ron Perlman, who played Hannibal Chow, marched back into Hannibal Chow's hideout and was like, you owe me a kaiju brain, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really good yeah it it kicks ass um also um yeah i mean there's also you know one last pair of people which are the the two australians um chuck and Herc hansen uh i believe chuck chuck no maybe uh chuck is the son and yeah. Herc is the dad yes okay yeah 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 yeah. i was gonna say i'm completely fine with referring to them as son and dad hansen <laughs> uh yeah so uh uh how did you feel about good old chucklebee uh i mean i hate chuck so much he's such a prick um you know and that's that's intentional right he you know your first introduction to him is him on tv being like yeah no the jaeger program was only decommissioned uh because of mediocre pilots um you know i'm a great pilot and i i of course could could kill all the jaeger or not the jaegers the kaiju by myself because i i kick ass um and you know that's directly uh, an affront to raleigh and he you know multiple times will get in a fight with raleigh in fact there's a big fight where he insults mako uh and then raleigh like goes and kicks his ass um because you know he's just a shitty dude but i i think the very interesting thing is the relationship between chuck and herc because herc um you know his dad is like yeah um my son does suck i'm fully aware of that uh sorry about him uh but he is my co-pilot what are you gonna do (laughs) Yeah, uh, the, uh, when Raleigh punched Herc in the face, it was so satisfying. I bodily went, ooh. <laughs> like, it was just, it was so good. Yeah, I I mean, like, you love to hate him, right? He's a good character, but he sucks. And there's more than enough room for that in this uh, franchise. I do think it's very interesting, like, as we're talking about all these characters, um, and we'll get into their relationships a little bit more, but I think it is interesting that they're all deliberately paired off like there's no there's never really a group dynamic between any of them right there's not uh even even in terms of like mako and stacker and raleigh you never get much more than raleigh standing in the back of a shot maybe talking about stacker to mako there's not really a dynamic between the three of them you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and same with like any any other members of the cast like it's all very paired off all the time which i think is a, a very interesting way to tell a story yeah i think the most interesting intersection of, of characters is where um chuck the the son the australian son and stacker end up piloting their mech at the very end um it's it's such a strange choice right and they even address that they're like yeah i mean i uh, stacker's like well you are a rude baby boy with daddy issues so i i think i'm pretty drift compatible with you I, i got you figured out and like they're like okay sure whatever and um you know i do think the world building falls apart at times like the the miss movie doesn't care too much about its own logic which you know what i think is actually to its benefit because it's just kind of a fun film um but like there are there are some bits where it's like hmm, we just established that it's very hard to be drift compatible but it's fine that that's that's kind of how i come down on a lot of this film's logic is like does that make sense no but it's fine i'm having a good time <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the the way that they justified it in universe was Idris Elba said, I take nothing into the drift, which I thought was kind of a badass thing to say. Like, he's so practiced that he just, like, you know, he's just there. Yeah. He can be present with anyone, which 
honestly, I think makes sense with, with what he says to Raleigh at one point, which is, um, all I have to be for you guys is a fixed point. I am not your father. I'm not anything. I'm just a fixed point. So I think it does flow with his characterization. But like, like you said, there is so much about this movie that makes no goddamn sense. And that's fine, baby. There's a three-armed robot elbowing dinos into the sea. The, they say that the kaiju are dinosaurs that tried to come and, and take Earth once. And then they were like, nah, not yet. Waited until we terraformed it for them and then came. This nonsense. I love it. More. It's great. Give it kicks more. ass. Um, it, it, it's incredible. Um, and, and, like, I think that that nonsense is something I wanted to talk about because, like, is this... Is this camp? Layla, what's camp? <laughs> what does camp mean? Oh, boy. Okay, so... Camp... I know there's, like, actual definitions for camp, but, like, it's so hard to... To, to boil down. Camp is, um, it's, uh, uh, Rocky Horror, right? Camp is melodrama. Camp is over the top. Camp is, um, just like intentional clownery. Uh, if you, if you look at the Met Gala, um, from 20... 17 one of those years uh the the assignment was camp and not everyone got it uh camp is billy porter being carried in by six shirtless hunks while wearing all gold as the sun god Ra. you know what i mean like it is it is so over the top and like so if the whole movie was that uh numbers are as close as we get to the handwriting of god line if that was the entire film that would be camp i think there are campy moments in this movie i don't think the whole entire production was camp okay thank you for that clarification that does actually help me clear up a lot of definitional problems but um you know i i think it's understandable why i asked that question because like like we've been alluding to this whole film has this very melodramatic air and there are these big character moments and speeches and bits i do i do think that there is you know this movie has this weight this melodramatic over the top flair that was like i think Layla will like this because of how big the swings it takes are um and and it seems like it i was i was around in the money and i'm very pleased about that yeah, uh, I'll tell you uh, when uh, Lady Danger picked up that fucking boat and used it as a sword. I was bought in. I was, and that's camp. Using okay. a boat as a sword, I would, I would classify that in this context as is camp. That's just so dragging that thing behind that giant robot just to fucking take that monster out. Absolutely, the entire character of Hannibal Chow, I would say, <laughs> at least borders on camp. You know, there's just really great. Uh, I think, honestly, Herman finding that random toilet to puke into in the debris pile, I would call that camp. Uh, but this goes into, like, honestly, the thing you were talking about with the, mel- the like, casual melodrama, it's like a very Del Toro thing to do. And in the outline, you do have something about uh, Del Toro's Monster Corner, which I think is a, a great time to get into because, um, first of all, you know, I I don't know. I'm very against auteur culture. Like, I don't think that uh, a single person is responsible for any creative project. So I just want to put it out there that, like, yes, Guillermo del Toro is a very specific vision. And when we talk about del Toro's monsters, I just want to acknowledge that, like, teams of people go into bringing these things to life. Like, teams of incredibly talented artists whose input is very valuable go into making these monsters. Um, Because in my house, we credit and we pay artists god damn it so um but as we're just going to be talking about like del toro's like vision for his monsters right so um i think you pointed out something very interesting in the in our notes which is to say that like the so there's this like category system for these kaiju right kind of like hurricanes is like category Mm. one and then at the end you meet like it the fours are like crazy the fours are like wild the fours are dangerous and there's two fours and you're like holy shit and then there's a category five Cat 5 wasn't, like, physically all that much, right? Yeah. I mean, that was kind of my... I was a little disappointed on, on second watch of this because I was like, you know, 
they're supposed to be having this big buildup, and like the category five monster is like a little bit taller than the other ones and doesn't have like any cool weapons. Like there's one that has an EMP. Like I thought that was much scarier than this cat five at the end. Um, so yeah, that, that was one, one criticism I have of the film is that like, you know, Del Toro is famous for his monster design. Um, but like these ones all I felt were a little samey, unfortunately, like there's a lot of big horns and ridges and like jaws that, uh, open and hinge on like six different places. And that's cool. And I love it. Um, but yeah, I, I was a little bit, I was wanting a little bit more. Um, and you know, but I do think it's important that we talk about Del Toro cause like he makes monstrosity such a part of his, you know, of his oeuvre like the you know the pale man from pan's labyrinth is is a famous example you know the the big white humanoid with uh eyeballs on their hands that like chases the girl around like that you know that's an iconic monster um you know the shape of water you have the the fish man the sexy fish man um you know and i don't think we get as much of his like philosophy which is like monsters are the ways that we look at the the marginalized and like he tries to say interesting things about the ways that his mantras are portrayed and what makes them monstrous versus what you know what is actually monstrous you know the, if you've seen pan's labyrinth you know the real monster is not all the you know weird fairies and shit running around um but like uh, yeah, I, 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 would, I do wish we had a little bit more here, but I mean, just like from a straight up cool factor, I thought they were like kind of perfect for just like, oh, big, scary, terrible things that roll up and, and do a lot of damage. Um, I, I thought they were, they did, they served their purpose, uh, well. Yeah, so, um, I think it's funny because Pacific Rim for me fits into, um, a, a, a del Toro subgenre, which is um, monsters almost for the sake of monsters or monsters as vehicle for the exploration of intimacy, not so much monsters as a contrast to the monster of man. But then there's also the del Toro subgenre of monsters as exploration for, for the intimacy of humanity, which not only Pacific Rim fits into, but also the Troll Hunters franchise, which is Troll Hunters, uh, Three Below, Wizards, and now there's a feature film called Rise of the Titans. And so the four things that go into that franchise. Um, very good animated DreamWorks franchise uh, that is a del Toro vehicle. And um, it's it's three separate stories that are all kind of conjoined. Um, so there's one about the troll hunter, Jim Lake. There's one about these two alien siblings. And then there's one uh, about uh, Merlin's assistant, which I think is very fun. Um, but in that uh, franchise also, the monsters... There's no real monster of man. It, it takes that kind of like children's media pathway of like almost everyone is redeemable by love and friendship. Um, so like even the villains, a lot of the villains become not villains and the villains that are villains are like, like very villainous, you know, in like a very frank, very upfront way. Um, so it's, um, The monstrosity in that and in Pacific Rim very much becomes this, like, almost backdrop to semi-realism to say, like, okay, well, we have our planet. Here's this drastic change, which is to say the presence of monsters. So there's just enough magical realism and suspension of disbelief to say, like, okay, so in this world... um, certain pressures exist that are otherworldly and how can we use that to push the bounds of like friendship love and intimacy you know what i mean so it's like still real it's still us and there's no like real human monstrosity but there is this like new uh uh pressure by way of story this new like requirement to dig in deeper um which is i think where pacific rim falls on the like del toro spectrum yeah i think that's that's a great way to you know just talk about the the drift right like the drift is the thing that they used you know the monsters necessitate the implementation of the neural handshake that drives the jaegers that drives the ability to to link with the kaiju brain right the the existence of monsters the kaiju forces humanity to um you know realize that that you know friendship and that and um you know working together in a very intimate way is the only way that we are going to overcome these supernatural um existential uh challenges that we face um 
And, you know, we see it in Raleigh and Mako, you know, them both overcoming their uh, background trauma by learning to trust each other and and getting in each other's head, you know, with with Chuck and Herc, right? We see this father-son relationship that, you know, they, you know, they are very rude to each other or, you know, Chuck is rude to everyone and Herc is, you know, disappointed in his son, but also they share this mind meld. So they also know that, like, you know whatever happens between them they they still love each other fundamentally which is you know that uh, like despite the fact that i hate chuck so much like when he goes off with stacker pentecost to die in the, the final mission you know he you know herc is like i don't want to leave anything unsaid even though we've all you know you share my mind in the drift and chuck's just like don't don't say it i already know um and it, like it, it was heartbreaking but also you know very profound and i, I really liked that bit you know, and then of course Newton Herman are, are you know extremely queer coded scientists who, um, you know, are, are struggling to to prove each other wrong, but then come together to realize that the best thing they can do for humanity is is to to go merge with the, this kaiju consciousness and and understand what their uh, final plan is. Th- those are all necessitated by the by the monsters putting pressure on us, and I think you know the the drift itself is a very interesting and and useful narrative device because it allows us to not only literally see into the memories of our characters, but also it helps us understand their motivations and their relationships with each other in a very clear uh, and uh, reasonable way, and a way that that resonates with me at least as an audience member. Yeah, and I mean, uh, the, like, drift compatibility, I guess, selection, too, is always interesting. So, like, we talked about Pentecost earlier, how he doesn't bring anything into the drift and can kind of interface with everyone um, because he is, like, the fixed point of the the collective. But um, I also found uh, the fact that he never interfaces with Mako very interesting because they have a very intimate relationship without the forced connection of the drift, which is really cool. Um, and uh, uh, as Pentecost gears up into to go into the final confrontation, uh, and Mako obviously wants to protect him. She doesn't want her dad to die. Uh, he says, I will always be there for you. You will always find me in the drift. Baby, that got me. It's an incredible line. <laughs> It's a va- like this movie is a um, wild time, but it does occasionally hit you real hard, right in the right in the Kokoro. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> but as we talk about the drift, are we ready to talk about who we would be drift compatible with? Yeah, I mean, I I think that I'll go first, which is to say, uh, basically only my wife. Uh, I don't think there's literally anyone I would feel comfortable like you know letting in my mind. Um, and being able to see that level of, of, you know, my own personal, um, you know, problems and, and aspirations and, you know, things that I don't particularly like about myself. The, the thing about, you know, living with somebody for, uh, five years now, uh, and, and, you know, being in a relationship with them for 10 is that, you know, whether or not Sierra is literally psychically connected to me, she already knows all the bad shit um, going on here. So, like, I think that that is the level of emotional intimacy I I would need to allow somebody to be physically, you know, mentally connected to me. Um, but I think that that you had some very very interesting thoughts on drift compatibility in your notes. Yeah, no one, fucking no one, can't think of a single person I would be. I have some fantastic friends, right? I have some very close friends, very very tight friends who I would sacrifice anything for do anything for him you know love them to death um no you can't go in my head absolutely not are you fucking kidding me i would die i would sooner die if they were like hey layla suit up i'd be like no <laughs> just like a guy can't i can't <laughs> i can't deal with this today nope i i can't do it it just man you know I complain about the mortifying ideal of being no- ordeal of being known kind of like all the time because I hate it. Um, I get uncomfortable when people like p- 
predict things about me. Like, like even you saying, like, oh, I think you would like Pacific Rim. I'm like, oh! <laughs> you don't know me like that. Excuse like, you. <laughs> excuse you. How dare you know me? Um, I I tend to reflexively self-isolate uh, whenever things get a little too intimate. Um, that's why I don't have a ton of friends. I have a lot of acquaintances. That's um, why I'm perpetually single, because the moment anybody shows any interest in me, I fucking run. I wish I was joking. I'm not. I flee. I start to ghost people because they're, they like me. Like, I can't, there is, I can't think of a single person who I could be like, yeah, get in my brain. Get in here. Fucking check out how much I hate myself. Like, it's just, I can't. I, this, this movie made me think about a lot of things and none of them were good. Ah, uh, but I mean, like, I think that's kind of what the movie is trying to say, right? Like, isn't there something about just like being connected to other people, you know, in a very deep and personal way, being the only way to save, uh, you know, not only the world, but each other and ourselves, it, you know, I, I think that that is kind of a nice sentiment. It, I mean, yeah, I'm not saying it's not a nice sentiment. Mr. Del Toro, that's kind of his 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 brand you know what i mean like he, he does a lot of that like friendship can save anything love can save anything um even if it's not like the best objective ending there is something that gets saved yeah i mean like you know obviously if there were like giant fucking godzilla's coming out of the goddamn ocean and somebody was like layla for some godforsaken reason, we think you should get in a big robot and go do punch. I would be like, fine. I'm sure I'd figure it out. I'm sure we'd have lots of wonderful, intimate talks and build a beautiful trust and it would be beautiful. Um, but I think that, uh, I mean, as you were kind of alluding to, not alluding to, outright saying, that that is kind of the point of the movie is like this exploration of um, needing intimacy and trust and friendship to like get through a crisis like this i you know especially with the fact that del toro sets up the like commercialization and commodification of the kaiju crisis in the beginning of the film like, there's a whole opening dedicated to the fact that like a ton of lives are lost and then all of a sudden there's like kaiju toys and jaeger toys like people are just taking this entire crisis for granted now and then flipping that on its head to be like okay it's been commodified and then it got worse. And the only thing that solved it was like unrestrained trust, unconditional love. Like that is the thing that got these pilots through this crisis. Right. And um, even, even in terms of like Raleigh and Mako, who um, I mean, like it is text, you know, that they, kind of like start to fall in love and and it is there's a lot of like romantic tones in their interactions um they never like kiss or anything but that forehead touch at the end of that fucking movie raleigh's saying uh, uh what does he say he says i never thought about the future until now i always did have terrible timing i'm like son propose like i don't <laughs> know what to tell you <laughs> So it's this movie like founded on all sorts of relationships, paternal to children relationships, uh, friendships, uh, romantic relationships. Uh, you know, it, it's, you know, I made jokes about uh, uh, Herman and Newt being queer coded, which like they are. But, you know, th that is supposed to be like a, fr a friendship that is just extremely powerful, um, though they are gay, but it's supposed to be a friendship. Uh, sure. uh, you know, it's it's. That is being posited as the anathema to capitalism, which I think is great. Um, it's a fantastic little film. I loved it a lot. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I get why it was super popular in Tumblr in like 2014, you know? Uh, so yeah, but um, myself personally, um, I'd sooner put a bullet in my head than drift. Well, good news, Layla, uh, is that in the sequel, Uprising, they introduced single-piloted Jaegers. So uh, if you were part of the, you know, second class of Jaeger pilots, you could solo pilot a Jaeger. Let's talk about uh, what your own Wait a minute. Jaeger Wait, what? Hold on. I was Hold with on. you for a second, and then I realized what you actually said. But the point is that there's supposed to be two. Yeah, but there is one that you can solo. It's it's. Listen, the sequel has some good moments, but it is complicated. Uh, we won't talk about it here. Um, again, go watch Lady Night the Braves essay that does cover the sequel uh, the, in in the show notes. 
Um, Great, I will be doing that after the recording because I am confused. Um, But, uh, so I wanted to talk about what I would like to have out of my own Jaeger if I did have some uh, Jaeger that I I could pilot. Um, And I thought about, because they they have, they introduced four Jaegers in this film. We didn't talk about the Russian one uh, very much, but it's very much like a very Soviet era, like big blocky, you know, nuclear uh, big robot, um, which, which is very fun. Uh, but I thought about the the main influences that I have, main cultural inferences on my life. And I was like, well, Catholicism, definitely, and also not being a white person. Uh, and, and initially, I wanted to go with, you know, um, you know Shiva from, from Hinduism, but I, I thought that was a little disingenuous. You know, I am not a Hindu, though I've read some Hindu texts. I don't know that I can claim that heritage, really. So instead, I went with um, uh, a... Jaeger that I am titling Merlion Martyrdom, which is very cool um, to reference the famous uh, Merlion of Singapore, uh, which is where my mom is from. Uh, you know, Singapore's National Day was recently, so happy birthday, Singapore. Um, but like, I think it would be very fun to have a, a robot that either has a lion head or like has a, a plasma cannon that turns into a lion head. Um, and also maybe a big, you know, mer- mermaid tail, uh, like, that I could use to, like, counter kaiju tails. And then also some very Catholic shit, like, you know, big stupid wings. Uh, you know, maybe maybe my, my wings would shoot missiles or have their engines in there. And then just, like, a big lance, like a big holy lance, like the Lance of Linginus, uh, to cite another uh, mech-based program. Um, but I think that would be extremely fun. Uh, maybe I could have a halo, uh, and, like, a halo shield. That would be very fun. Uh, but yeah, I, I, mm. this, this movie makes me wish I could draw so I could draw my own mech OCs and, and have my mech OC fight different kaiju. That'd be, that'd be sick as hell. What would your, uh, Jaeger be? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess if we're talking about the cultural influences that we've grown up under, like, I wish I could say, like, yeah, I would, I would do this, like, big, like, Slavic folk uh, presentation, which I mean, I'm sure there would be influences. You know, I'd love like a big Kakloma painted shield. I think I would have a shield. I think I would run defense, you know, if I were uh, drift compatible with a person. I think we would do mm-hmm. defense, just a big, big, beautiful shield. Um, I would go full Final Fantasy. I mean, like, I want shit on there that looks like belts. I want those, like, (laughs) swords that fold out, and I want them to, like, four of them around the waist of this bot, so I can just pick them, you know, and just do, like, a (laughs) double-handed thing. Like, I want the full Nomura experience, you know what I mean? And, like, just, you know, maybe one of them was, like, wrapped around twice, and it turns into a fucking lance or some shit. Oh, hell yeah. That would be dope as hell and like a big circle headdress to look like those orthodox portraits of like jesus oh yeah definitely yeah that's what i'm like a big 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 green knight style like headpiece crown thing with like a that turns like a big collar like a a cloud or vincent from final fantasy 7 you know (laughs) like i want like a big neck cuff thing um i think my robot would be nuclear powered because i'm picturing like a big bulky beautiful iron you know kind of like a lady danger you know just like a real yeah. real reactor in the center bot. yeah 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 absolutely my guy. <laughs> your mech is the the trope of where like somebody is going into a guarded place and they're like okay take out all your weapons uh and your mech's like okay and it has like <laughs> one sword and they're like no all your weapons and then your mech is like uh and then just like shakes for five minutes as various <laughs> blades and belts <laughs> And hidden guns just fall out of it into the ocean. For some reason, there's just like a a leaf village shuriken somewhere just like for fun, you know? Yes, Uh, fucking Naruto falls out of your mech. (laughs) Just a whole ninja. Uh, Just Uh, a whole ninja boy. I don't know about a name. Um, uh, uh, I was trying to think of something like, like Slavic, but I can't really think of anything significant enough. Um... But, uh, uh, maybe I would just call it, like, Diaspora's Edge. Oh, that's good. I love that. You know? Do fucking, do fucking that shit. Yeah, it would be, I, I, and when I say shield, I do mean as tall as the bot. Oh, yeah, like a tower shield, for yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I think that would be my, my Jaeger. Oh, God. Now, in order to fund these robots <laughs> that we will be building, we have to, we have to remark it. In the Mortified Marking Minute, we have to remark it 
uh, Pacific Rim, you know, either as a reboot or maybe a new medium. I don't know how you would, you know, want to do that. But w- what are your thoughts for making Pacific Rim, you know, accessible to the audience of 2021? I want you to go first because my solution is so elegant, so simple, so, it, it serves two beautiful purposes. So I just want to, you know, I want you to have the floor. Hmm. Hmm. I... So I definitely wanted to try a video game. I wonder mm-hmm. what would a I almost think a dating sim. I've been playing the oh, yes. recently released uh what's it called? Boyfriend Dungeon. Mm-hmm. Um I've I've been playing that recently and I've been thinking about uh, dating sims and and visual novels and I think it would be very interesting to try something similar to that like a combat like light game with with a lot of romance uh uh ga- game elements mm-hmm. um like where your whole you're trying to date various pilots in order to find out which one you are drift compatible with yes uh and like you know you can you can do training exercises with them to figure out what what you do and also you know you learn their backstory as you talk to them and you know the final climax is you picking a pilot that you are drift compatible with and you know doing one bit last big fight against a kaiju uh i think that'd be extremely good yes 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 i think that's that's excellent um i have a very simple very beautiful very elegant solution i'm gonna just market your dating sim okay okay and here's how we're gonna do it elon musk is planning to launch ad satellites to like have ads in space right so i think we can get elon musk to make those ads like holographic projectors mm-hmm. we project kaiju coming out of the ocean to market this dating sim the projections go horribly wrong. There is a class action lawsuit against Elon Musk for scaring an entire city. That motherfucker goes to jail and everybody plays your game. Win, motherfucking win. Uh, we should try to make more of our marketing minutes uh, try to target specific billionaires. <laughs> yeah, Bill Gates, I'm coming for your ass. <laughs> William, you're next. Uh <laughs> God, Layla, Uh, when we are not trying to cause the downfall of various uh, wealth hoarding monsters, much worse than any kaiju from Del Toro's imagination, uh, where can people find us on the internet? Well, the problem is that's all I'm doing nowadays. Um, But if you're looking for the remnants of what I was before I was radicalized, uh, you can check out uh, at L-E-Y-L-S-E-S on Twitter and Tumblr. Um... And uh, I am debating whether or not I'm going to write an essay this month. Um, but I did edit a couple. So if you want to go reread my edits now that I'm not super stressed by the American elections, you know, feel free to check those out. Aaron, what about you? Uh, you know, you can find me uh, on Twitter at AaronSXL, where I tweet uh, about writing TTRPGs. Uh, unfortunately, still uh, healthcare, uh, because our healthcare system's still a mess. Uh, but I don't tweet. Uh, I, I don't tweet mean things on my professional Twitter. Uh, but I do tweet those mean things on my normal Twitter. So there's that. Um, you can listen to the other podcasts I do at the Bible Boys on Twitter. Uh, we just released an episode about the uh, History Channel TV show Battles BC. Their their episode on Joshua and the siege of um, Jericho, which was very fun. Uh, Michael was drunk, and Josh was doing it on their bed. Uh, so it was just a wholly unhinged episode that I did turn into an animatic, which was fun. Uh, so please check that out if any of that appeals to you. Uh, you should also know that our theme song is Obsolete by Keshko from the album Filmmaker's Reference Kit Volume 2. You can find more of their music at keshko.bandcamp.com. Layla, um, our listeners are going to be very sad uh, because they're not going to be able to hear us for another week. Uh, and to comfort them, what should we let them know? You can always find us in the drift. We'll see you all next time. <laughs> <laughs>